begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, and we'll go to the hymn, Not All the Blood of Beast. Not all the blood of beast on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ the heavenly Lamb takes all our sins away. A sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. My faith would lay its hand on that dear head of thine. While as a penitent I stand and there confess my sin. My soul looks back to see the burden thou didst bear when hanging on the cursed tree I know my guilt was there. Believing we rejoice to see the curse removed we bless the Lamb with cheerful voice and sing his bleeding love. Is this the tune to something else? Yes, yeah, I would have sung this tune before. This I tune is something yes, else. it's the tune to... Um, it's actually, I remember because it's right next to the hymn in... Maybe... I think this. Uh, no. It's real familiar to tune. I thought it was. Hold on. Give me one second. I'm yeah. I'm pretty sure it is used a couple times. Oh, it's used like four times. Okay. Um, four. Four. Oh Christ, you walk the road. Oh Christ, you walk the road. Our wandering feet must go. Okay. Let's Try this one. Uh, Four fifty-two. Oh perfect life of love. It's another holy weekend. Oh perfect life of love. All all is finished now. Okay. 
Um, and then, and then the final option here that maybe. Yeah, right. It's always the last one I check. Oh, Lord Jesus, think on me. Lord Jesus, think on me and purge away my sin from worldly passions. Set me free. That's a good hymn. That's it. Cynesius of Cyrene. All right. Um, yeah, it's always nice when hymns use, uh, you know, same tune. So, um, why, why? I don't talk about that, but yeah, I, I think it's nice because then you, you can know a lot more hymns, uh, in that in that sense. All right, let's uh, continue on with the at-home prayer. Uh, so, it's catechism, uh, table of duties to workers of all kinds, and uh, from Ephesians six. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Ephesians 6, 5-6. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Luther's morning prayer, I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. All right, so I'll say... um, about the hymn, so this is a uh, Lent Lenten hymn, of course, and Lent uh, starts in February this year and then goes through into March, and uh, we have Ash Wednesday on February 14th, Valentine's Day, which only happens, you know, every couple decades or something, right, depending on when Easter falls, um, but it's kind of a nice contrast, right, you have, like, this holiday about love. But it's also a martyrdom, right? Saint Valentine, and then, and then you have Ash Wednesday for your dust, and to dust you shall return. So, that'll be a fun sermon to write. But uh, um, anyway, uh, a couple things kind of about the church year and the hymn and everything that we're talking about right now. Uh, one is I wanted to correct myself on the Jesmatide uh, from last week. Last week I said that these three Sundays in pre-Lent are. Um, Grace, faith, and word alone themed, which is true, but I got them a little bit out of order. And for some reason in my head, last Sunday, which was grace alone, um, I had right, but then um, I had sexagesma and quinquagesma, word and faith, switched around. I had said that sexagesma was faith alone and quinquagesma was word alone, but those are actually the opposite. I, I went to look at the text early this last week for this Sunday today and was like, oh, shoot, I got that switch around. So um, today, sexagesima is word alone, and next week is quinquagesima, which is faith alone. So 
We're going to talk about word alone today in the church service. So I just wanted to correct that. If you took notes last week or whatever, you can write that down. But anyhow, all right. Um, the hymn, Not All the Blood of Beasts, the reason I chose this hymn this month is because our Lent midweeks are going to focus on the uh, the book of Hebrews. And there will be a uh, reading plan coming out. I'm having the vicar put together the reading plan because that's a good vicar task. Um, he actually just got it to me yesterday, so um, I'll, I'll be publishing that soon. Um, reading plan for Hebrews throughout the season of Lent. And we're going to go through the book of Hebrews on the Lent midweeks. And uh, this, this hymn is probably... I went through all the Lent hymns, and this seems the most Hebrews-themed uh, hymn, I guess, in the hymnal, because one of the things that Hebrews is, is about is explaining the what was going on in the Old Testament sacrificial system, right, and why that is a Christian thing that was going on, and a, and how it connects to Christ, right? So. Uh, this this first line here of the hymn, not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. And then the second stanza, but Christ the heavenly lamb takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. That That's explaining this, this major theme in Hebrews, which is the sacrifice once for all, right? That there were these sacrifices that were leading up to the sacrifice once for all. And uh, that's what the sacrifice of Christ is, and that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. So um, Hebrews is all about priests and sacrifice and, and using this Old Testament language to, to describe uh, Jesus. So um, I thought this was a fitting hymn, so we'll sing this during the Lent midweeks too. But I'm glad you know the tune. It's uh, I think it's a, this is one of my favorite hymns, actually. Um, I believe it's an Isaac Watts hymn, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to double check that, but um, yeah, Isaac Watts is one of the great American hymn writers. Yep. So, yeah, Steve. Years ago, I went to a Bible study, and it was called. They named their Bible study "Better Than an Ox," and I thought that was pretty good, which is kind of what this song is about. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, better than an ox. That's good. Yeah. All right. Um, we'll talk about the same a little bit more as we go through the the weeks here. All right. So back to our uh, regularly scheduled program. Uh, Lamentations is where we're at in the scriptures today. And if uh, you recall from last week, I said, you know, we're kind of just going back through um, – we got to hit all the kind of like post-exile prophets and some of these other books in the New Testament, in the old, excuse me, in the Old Testament that we haven't talked about yet before we move on to the New Testament. But the, <laughs> I do promise um, that you know at some point we'll we'll make it through the the Old Testament and you will know the Old Testament better than you did four years ago. So, all right, uh, the Book of Lamentations. Um, let's just talk about some introductory stuff. 
So the author is Jeremiah. Now, Steve was just mentioning to me here that in the, what is that, the NIV that y'all have there, that um, it says that they think the name, uh, they think that the the author is, is Jeremiah. And... Um, this is so. So let me just say up front that I'm not an expert on this topic, particularly of of assigning authors to to Bible books, right? Um, most of the books in the Bible are easy because they tell you, right, who wrote them. Like they'll say like. The, the, the prophecy of Isaiah or, you know, Paul in the New Testament will say, I, Paul, write to you these words, right? You know, things like that. But you do get these books like Lamentations or actually coincidentally like Hebrews um, that don't have an author attributed to them within the book itself, within the text itself. And for that, we do rely somewhat on, on tradition. But... Um, what's interesting to me that I wanted to talk talk about a little bit, just because Steve brought that up, was that uh, if you take a look through church history, um, people in, in modern academia and modern biblical academia have become seemingly less sure about who wrote it, who wrote what books, right? And they have become more skeptical and there's been more theories produced, right? Where if you go back to the early church, the medieval church, the Reformation church, um, people had very definite opinions and uh, there were very few opinions. And it seems to me that the kind of idea of saying something like, we don't know, who wrote a book in the Bible, or um, we don't have any idea, or even, well, it was probably this, but we don't really have an opinion, is a very modern idea. And it goes very much along with the kind of way of modern biblical scholarship, which is to say we don't really know if the Bible is God's word. Right. And the reason I think it's important is um, we confess that we believe in the prophetic and apostolic scriptures. Right. Which basically is shorthand for saying we believe that the Old Testament was written by prophets and then the New Testament was written by apostles. Right. And um, there's a. Good essay I read on this back in back in seminary. I have it kind of in the back of my mind. I can send to you if you're really interested in this topic. But um, that part of the veracity of the scriptures, part of the truth of the scriptures, is founded on the fact that it was written. Not only that it's inspired. I mean, that's that's a major part of it too. Is that the that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? But that it's prophetic and apostolic, that it comes out of these 
prophets and apostles that God used in his church in history called for this task of writing scripture. Right? In some ways, this is what makes a like capital P prophet and capital A apostles, right? Um, what they are is that they're they're scripture writers, right? Now, there are other kind of what we could call like lowercase p prophets, right, that don't write scripture um, or um, in some sense like all pastors are part of this apostolic band. But but they're the the apostles and the prophets. These are the guys that wrote the scriptures, right? So um what it's it's just interesting to me that in more modern times we would say, well, we don't really know, right? And it, it, to me, it seems like a stepping stone to casting doubt on the scriptures themselves, right? And so my opinion is that what happens in church history happens for a reason, and that I I I don't want to sound too um, kind of Roman Catholic here, I guess, but uh, or Eastern Orthodox or whatever, talking about tradition. But church tradition is pretty important, right? And it's not, it's not that it's above scripture by any means, but with something like this, if church tradition tells me, you know, very fervently and very clearly that Jeremiah is the author of Lamentations, that that's basically what everyone for the last 2,000 years has always believed except for now in these last 50 years, we've started to cast doubt on that for, for whatever reason. Um, that there's – it would be irresponsible in some sense of me as a Christian to just ignore that, right, to just not believe that. Um, and so I just say very confidently, I think Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. Like why – I don't know why I would ever think any differently. That's what everyone's always said. Yes, it's not like in the book, but um, that's that's what's been passed down through the centuries, right? That Jeremiah is the author of Lamentations, and I think it's it's a prophetic book. It's always been canonical. It's always been included in the Bible. There's there should be no doubt about it, right? And um, I actually make somewhat of a similar argument uh, for the Book of Hebrews, and and I I think Paul wrote the Book of Hebrews. Because that's what all the early church said. They were just like, yeah, Paul wrote Hebrews. Of course he did, right? But anyway, that's uh, that the whole Hebrews thing's a little bit more complicated than Lamentations. Lamentations, in my opinion, is is even more clear than that because there's been very little disagreement about that. But um, I do think it's important to recognize that these scriptures are prophetic and apostolic, and that it is perfectly okay to just accept church tradition without having to sit here and be all modern-minded about it, skeptical about it. Yeah, Chad, go ahead. So, so I mean, obviously, Jeremiah wrote the vast majority of Lamentations, at least. But, I mean, isn't there some speculation that the other authors might be advocating and possibly even... Yeah, this is similar to the Hebrews thing. So, it is pro- po- possible. This, this even happens in the book of Deuteronomy. I should caveat that, so thank you for that. Um, that there are, and and I'm I'm much more okay with this than the than a kind of modern take that says, well, we just really don't know. But um, 
it's fine to say, okay, well, maybe other prophets or other apostles contributed to these books, right? So um, with Lamentations, if Habakkuk contributed something to the book of Lamentations, that's fine. We actually already saw that in the book of Jeremiah where his, uh, his scribe, right, was the one who actually transcribed some of the words uh, that Jeremiah preached, right? So we know that maybe the person who literally wrote them down wasn't the prophet itself, but it comes from the prophet, right, or from the prophets. Um, similarly with de- like Deuteronomy, you get the account of Moses' death at the end of Deuteronomy, right? And Moses wrote Deuteronomy, but maybe, maybe it's possible that Joshua wrote the end of Deuteronomy, right? Or, or it's also possible that Moses prophesied by the Holy Spirit in advance of his death, about his death, right? But um, so, so there are little pieces here where we can be a little more nuanced. That's totally fine. Same with uh, Hebrews. Like if you go to like Luther, Luther says, well, maybe it wasn't Paul, but it was um, – uh, who does Luther think wrote Hebrews? Does anyone remember? It's uh, one of one of Paul's cohort. Um, I should have. Aquila and Priscilla or something. No. Um, starts with a B, I think. Um, why is it escaping my mind? Bartholomew. Uh, may, maybe. Um, with Hebrews, it's almost kind of. Yeah, well, the the Hebrews or the, the Hebrew, the Greek uh, is is definitely a little bit different style and a little bit more complex. It's harder Greek than say how Paul writes Romans, but I think that's easily explained by the fact that he's writing to a different group of people, right? If I'm if I'm writing a paper for a seminary class, it sounds different than a newsletter article I write for the church, right? I mean, I think that's like pretty simple simplistic but um anyway okay so that's my thing about the author is that like uh, oh, oh the other thing i was going to point out is i happened to um my the bible i normally use is in my car and i didn't want to run out in the rain so i grabbed this um old king james it's a i mean it's published more recently but it's a king james version it's and it's like the uh authorized 1611 or whatever so it's all pretty old as far as what's actually in here and um it (laughs) it just says so this is like an kind of what an older so the newer bible the 1984 niv or whatever says we don't really know who wrote hebrews and i'm i'm being too mean to the niv but um the the old kjv just says the lamentations of jeremiah and then in, in this introduction, it says, in this five-poem dirge, Jeremiah exposes his emotions. Jeremiah writes his lament in an acrostic, right? It just, it just assumes, like, um, the, so the subtitle, and this actually tells you a little bit of the tradition here. The subtitle in Jerome's Vulgate reads, The Lamentations of Jeremiah, of the prophet Jeremiah, right? So, um going all the way back to the 300s at least, right, which obviously Jerome got it from somewhere too, uh, 
this has just been called the Lamentations of Jeremiah. <laughs> That's just the title of the book. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that it's that's what's funny to me is just if you look at the course of history, how we've become less sure about the Bible, which this is Word Alone Sunday, right? So we should, as Lutherans, I think we should be very sure about the Bible. All right. Enough of that. All right, so uh, date date wise, this is around 587 BC, which if you remember, um, 587 is the destruction of the temple. So kind of centering around a lot of what we've been talking about recently. All right, and then. Um, As I, as I kind of mentioned there uh, for that introduction of the Bible, this is um, – the book of Lamentations is uh, five poems, and um, for the most part, they're acrostic, what's called acrostic poems. And let me see. Let, do I want to talk about that right now? Yeah, I'll go ahead and talk about that right now. Okay. So um, – Chapters 1 through 4, so it's five chapters. Chapters 1 through 4 are the what we call acrostic. And acrostic is a type of poem which every uh, verse – well, we'll talk about chapter 3 is a little bit different. But um, every, every section or every verse of – the chapter begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Okay, so and it goes um, goes in order of of the the Hebrew alphabet. So the Hebrew alphabet is 22 verses, and so you'll see in uh, chapters uh, one, two, four, and five, um, we get uh, 22 verses. Right, so chapters one through four are acrostic. Chapter five is different in that it's still 22 verses. It's still the same number of verses as the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, but it's not an acrostic. It doesn't begin with those letters. The verses don't begin with those letters. Chapter three is a little bit different in that it's acrostic, but it's 66 verses, right? And that's because it does groups of three verses. So, um, the, the first three verses begin with Aleph, right? And then it goes down the Hebrew alphabet three verses at a time. So you get three verses for each. In chapter three, you get three verses for each letter, if that makes sense. All right. Um, so it's still an acrostic, but it's a, it's a longer acrostic. And chapter three is the, the center of the book. Okay. Yeah. So, Lamentations is poems or songs. Yeah, it's a collection of five five poems. So the um, let, let me let me say one more thing about the acrostics, and then and then we'll get into lament the Lamentations there. So the poems, the acrostic, the thing that I think this really shows is it's a contrast. That you have order, right? This this like very tight order of these acrostic poems, 
in the midst of chaos. And that leads us into um, this idea of the book of Lamentations, right? So something we've talked about many times before already is this idea of lament, right? And this is the lament book of the Bible, right? You have lament psalms as well, um, but psalms obviously contains other things other than lament also, psalms of joy, uh, psalms of praise, ascent psalms, right? But Lamentations is an entire book of poetry that is all lament. And um, it goes very well, by the way, um, we should have talked about this a little bit earlier, but it goes very well with the book of Jeremiah, right? And it, it's, it comes right after Jeremiah in the Bible, in the order of the Bible. That's another thing about the Bible that... Um, People of old used to talk about, but modern people don't talk about anymore, which is that the ordering of the books of the Bible is purposeful. That, um, I, And I think it's actually advisable that the people who, who – the, the church, as they uh, put together the Bible, which um, – I mean the, the Old Testament has been bound together for a long time now. And then the New Testament, you know, also for a long time now, but, you know, New Testament a little bit later. Um, they bound the books together in the order they did for a reason, right? And it's advisable that if you read, if you do some sort of reading plan, that you would actually read the books in order to some degree, right? Now, I, I, I can't say that I've always done that whenever I've done reading plans of the scriptures there's other reading plans that are also good but i do like kind of just reading through the books of the bible in order in some way too because they are put in a certain order for a reason but anyway that's a side note um it goes very well with the book of jeremiah right if you remember about the book of jeremiah there's a lot of warning in there and um we we learn about the destruction of jeremiah is kind of this book that's bound together that is um not necessarily chronological right but there's uh a lot of theology in the book of jeremiah about the destruction of the temple and this book of lamentations are these poems laments about the destruction of the temple so um it goes together with that that book of jeremiah very well okay but let, let's get into the meat of it okay so what are these poems about well, these poems are, just like I said, laments or these – what is a lament? It's a cry of honesty, right? It's a cry of suffering to God. It's being honest with God about our emotions, about how we feel. Um, it's a way to organize and express the emotions of sadness, of destruction, of rejection that we feel to God. And it's this um, – it, it, it's even, in a sense, complaining to God, right? It's telling God, hey, why are you letting this happen, right? And, and being honest with him about that. And Jeremiah does that very masterfully here. And I think with this order in the midst of chaos thing, right, you can see that there's this – 
contrast of I'm going to tell God how I feel, but I'm not going to do it in just this kind of um, bombastic sort of way, but I'm going to organize it into into these poems, organize my thoughts, that when I do tell God how I feel, it's in a way that is helpful for processing it, right? So I, this, this actually, um, I think lament does have a good application for us today. Um, so a lot of people, like, I've, I've noticed this, um, I'll just give you an example. So I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and um, one of the things that, that podcasts do to be able to pay themselves to be able to produce the podcast is they get sponsors for the podcast, right? And then the, the people who are doing the podcast will, will give these commercials during the, during the middle of the podcast or at the beginning or end of the podcast, kind of shouting out their sponsors, right? So... And then the sponsors pay the money so they can produce the podcast. Well, there's some sponsors that are um, just in the realm of podcasts I listen to that seem to be very popular nowadays um, as, as sponsors. And, and one of them is this uh, company called BetterHelp. I don't know if you've heard of this. Um, if you've maybe on YouTube or um, – on podcasts, there's there's all these commercials for BetterHelp, and BetterHelp is a company, to my understanding, based on the commercials. I mean, I've never used it, I've never looked into it at all, or anything. But it's basically an online therapy company. So you, uh, it's kind of telehealth. You you put in your information or whatever, I assume, and then they, you tell them what your problems are, and then they hook you up with a therapist that you can talk to, on online. And uh, I'm not saying whether or not that's good or bad, but um, what I've noticed is that talking about and met like quote unquote mental health, which I mean, growing up, I never heard the term mental health. I don't know if you, uh, if if y'all have had the same experience. I mean, maybe once in a while, you, like you might hear like that person's mentally unstable or something like that, but. The term mental health has exploded in use, it seems, in the past, I don't know, like couple years. And um, this idea of therapy and uh, people having a therapist, right, that was like a small percentage of the population, it seemed. Like when I was more growing up, it was like, yeah, I mean, um, some people might might go to a psychologist or a, a psycho, uh, what's that? Uh Psych, um, psychologist or a psychiatrist, thank you. Can't think of the other term. But no, I mean, not a lot. A lot of people, most people, wouldn't write. But now um, it seems that what's kind of being promoted is that like everyone should have a therapist. And it also goes along with this another theme I've I've noticed kind of um, being promoted in just the the sphere of I don't know the internet of this of society in general is. Um, People talking a lot about like meditation, right? That that and mindfulness. That's another one. Mindfulness. That people need to be 
meditating regularly. This is good for their this is good for their mental health, right? And need to be um, focusing on mindfulness, right? Being aware of their emotions and being mindful of what's going on around them. And um, here's what I I'm building up to something. I promise. I'm just I know I'm kind of spouting off here, but um, what I'm building up to is that what I think a lot of is going on. It, with those kind of things, with um, like the idea of everyone needs to have a therapist and um, everyone should pra- have a daily practice of meditation. What I think is going on is that we're we're moving as a society into a post-Christian society, right? Where th- either the majority of people or a, a large minority of people are not Christians, right? And Christianity as a, as a religion is in some ways becoming the minority, that people are naturally looking for replacements of things that Christianity provides. And one of the things that Christianity provides, for instance, is pastors, right, who can counsel people, right, and help them with their life problems. And um, by the way, one of the... Uh, the most successful forms of therapy that in psychology that's been most researched and most well-documented that if you go to a psychologist, the first thing they're probably going to do is called cognitive behavioral therapy, right? CBT, you've probably heard of this. And all that cognitive behavioral therapy is, I'm not trying to minimize psychology. I mean, I think there is a place for psychology and psychiatrists and stuff. But all that CBT really is is just talking to people. Right, talking people through their problems, and it's—I mean—it's been shown in plenty of studies that if people have a good social circle of friends and things like that, and, and people that they can talk to about their life, that they are generally more mentally healthy, right? And and probably don't need a therapist, right? Because a lot of a lot of times, what psychology is—not all the time—a lot of times, what psychology is is people just paying for a friend. Right. And it's it's sad, but it's true. Like it's that um, a lot of people don't have friends. And and so they're paying they're paying for someone to talk to, um, which is sad. But um, again, this is something that inherently Christianity provides. If you have a pastor, you have a friend. Right. And um, I'll come back to you, Chad. Just uh, let me finish my rant here. Um, before I forget what I was saying, but um, the and the meditation thing, all that is is a, a secular form of prayer, right? Um, it's that and and I don't even doubt that there are some benefits to quote unquote meditating, um, because what you're doing is you're imitating prayer, right? Now there are better benefits to prayer because not only do you get whatever kind of mental benefits there are to like turning off your phone and just letting yourself actually think right because i think this is one of the problems in in our society is that people are so distracted by screens and by music and noise and like you know people always have something playing they they never get a chance to just sit there and think, right? That 
um, that's kind of one of the benefits of, of this, probably this meditation thing is that you're just allowing your mind to be a mind, right? And you're canceling out some of that noise. But prayer provides that, plus you get to talk to the almighty creator, right? And he actually listens to you. So so prayer is actually better than meditation, right? So like with that one specifically, I'm like, if you're a Christian, I mean, don't worry about meditating. Just pray, right? I mean, it's, it's much better. Um, but anyway, uh, okay, now to connect this back to Lamentations just real quick, what lament does is uh, it is kind of both of those things, both what we could call you know meditation and therapy, and that it's taking it allows a Christian who's going through something very difficult to cry out to God in a way that allows them to organize their thoughts and work through the difficulty that they're going through. Right. And so lament is definitely needed in our society today because one of the things I see in our society is that we just don't know how to deal with difficult things. Right. Uh, people expect that nothing difficult is ever going to happen to them. And they expect not to suffer. And the Bible explicitly teaches that we are going to suffer. And so then how do we deal with that suffering? Um, one of the ways we can deal with that suffering is by lament. So the book of Lamentations is very good for this because it helps us learn how to lament. Right? It helps us learn how to organize our thoughts in in a way that is helpful to cry out to God. Okay. Rant over. Chad, go ahead. Okay. Right. So this is the question. Or this is my... So you said therapy and pastors and everything. Part, part of the problem in American Christianity is that a lot of pastors have abdicated their job to, and I don't mean like Lutheran pastors or anything, but like Western evangelical churches, pastors have are more simply big people who talk from the stage, they're performers. Than, than the like pastoral care isn't a reality in modern church anymore. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, so that there's a lot of churches out there that they teach the pastors um, you're not qualified to counsel. Um, and this this has something to do with another kind of big big societal thing, which I'm not trying to be like some big societal commentator, but it's just kind of happening this morning. Um, another big kind of thing in society today is this overspecification of knowledge. So it used to be, you know, that if someone got a PhD in whatever, you know, theology, right, that they they probably basically knew, like, every a good amount about every aspect of theology, right? Now, if someone gets a PhD in theology, they probably know a lot about like who wrote Lamentations or something like that, right? There's probably someone that got their PhD in the authorship of Lamentations, right? And that's kind of all they know about, 
right? I mean, maybe they know generally about some of the other things. But um, if you look at academia, like it used to be much more jack-of-all-trades uh, type of knowledge than this super-specific knowledge, right, where people study something very, very specifically. And as kind of the documentation of knowledge and of degrees has increased, right? And this is also the whole thing of like what used to be a high school diploma is now a bachelor's degree. What used to be a bachelor's degree is now a master's degree. What used to be a PhD, a uh, master's degree is now a PhD. What used to be a PhD is now like multiple graduate degree, all that kind of thing. Right, where you have to go further into academia if you want the same level of education that you, or the same job opportunities and level of education that you used to get, um, is this over-specification of knowledge. And one of the things that's created is that um, this sense that certain people are not qualified for certain things unless they have this kind of specific knowledge. Right. So um, this this has snuck into the church some. Maybe not so much the LCMS, but I have seen it in the LCMS that, um, well, you really shouldn't be a teaching pastor unless you have some sort of teaching background or teaching specialty, right? Or um, if you want to be a missional pastor, you should have you should do some sort of mission training or mission tract, right? Um, or if you want to be a counseling pastor, you should go get a, another master's degree in counseling, and then your focus as your ministry can be a counseling ministry, right? Where um, especially at larger churches, they have pastors for different areas of ministry. Now, from the, a biblical perspective, that's not how pastors have ever worked before, right? Um, pastors are pastors and they do all these things, right? They, that like, if you look at the things in first Timothy, they preach, they evangelize, they counsel, they, they teach, right? Pastors are supposed to be able to do all of it. And, um, the first time I really thought about this was, um, when, well, two, two things. So one, when I took the, the class pastoral counseling, and the guy said, we're going to talk about pastoral care and how you, you know, help people with their problems from a biblical perspective. And we're not going to talk about psychology. And then the class proceeded to be all about psychology, which I was a little upset about. But um, it was fine. I mean, it wasn't like bad psychology or anything. It was just like. You said we weren't going to talk about psychology, and then we talked about psychology, but it's fine. Um, and then the, the second time I thought about it was I was at this conference, and this pastor said was talking about this issue about how pastors are, are told if someone comes to them with, with any kind of you know quote-unquote psychological issue, um, you're supposed to send them to a qualified Christian counselor, whatever that means. And I, I do agree there are times where it's like, okay, we, we probably need to bring in medical professionals. And like there are situations where you do want to bring in more people to help with the situation. Like don't get me wrong. Um, and, and, and normally it's not even just that either, right? Like 
if a situation is bad, you need a whole team of of people to help with various types of things, right? But anyway, as this guy was talking about this, and he was like, I don't know where we got this idea that um, pastors can never help anyone with any kind of quote-unquote psychological problem. The word psychology literally comes from the Greek word suke, which means soul, right? So to pretend like the body and the soul and the mind are all these kind of separate entities that um, the, the pastor, or even fellow Christians for that matter, can't help each other with, right, or say anything about or speak from the Bible about is is kind of ridiculous, right? And then he quoted um, Isaiah chapter 9. He says, Jesus is called the wonderful counselor, right? Um, of course he can help you with, with psychological problems, with soul problems, right? The, from the Christian perspective, humans are body and soul, right? And the mind is part of all of that. And, and so it's all connected, right? We need to uh, – anyway. So I think it's all um, – it's all good. But I, did, I didn't mean to gas off about this for this long. But anyway, the uh, Book of Lamentations is good here because uh, we can see here that Jeremiah is incredibly emotional. right? He's incredibly psychological in this book. And he's very upset, uh, psychologically speaking, about – about the destruction of the temple. So this is a good book to, to see how prayer uh, comes into that, right? Okay. Where are we at? Yeah, Steve, go ahead. Along the lines that we're talking about, uh, I like this about Lutheran pastors, well, maybe not all of them, but... You ask them a question, and they'll say, well, let's see what the Bible says about it. Right, so yeah. So if it's based on what the Bible says, you have a little more uh, information in here. Than you're going to right, right. <clears throat> For sure, 100%. All right, let's, uh, let's look at some of the main themes. we got about five minutes. Of the book of Lamentations. All right, so uh, one of the main themes is grief and shame, right? Again, very kind of psychological things, right? Um, dealing with the loss of a city, right? Oh, this is, I didn't mention this yet, but um, yeah, the word lament, or the word lamentations um, comes from the, the word that means funeral, right? So this is, these are funeral songs, right? Um, or um, I actually like the word here that I, I just happened to come across in this uh, when I opened up this King James version, and it's got this introduction to the book um, that these are funeral dirges, right? And um, I I always kind of find this funny, right? Like sometimes people talk about the hymns that the the Lutherans like to sing, and they're like. Oh, they sound like funeral dirges, mm-hmm. and um, which you know I get I get the criticism. That's fine, but um, one of the books of the Bible, Lamentations, literally a book of funeral dirges. So 
I mean, you know, uh, we, I'm going to talk about this a little bit in the sermon, but um, one of the things we constantly need to do as Christians is recognize that maybe the Bible's not always what we want it to be, but it's what we need it to be, right? So we don't, we don't like to read funeral dirges, but sometimes we need to read funeral dirges, right? We don't like to sing funeral dirges. Maybe we need to sing funeral dirges, right? Um, you know, that, and it's just speaking to the word funeral, too, since I'm just in the mood to talk about whatever this morning. Um, and we're, we're out of time. I'll just, I'll end with this. The, uh, the whole celebration of life thing, that kind of ticks me off, right? Because someone died. It's really sad. It's called a funeral because we're sad and we're lamenting, right? And we're grieving. And um, yes, there is an aspect in Christian funerals of joy and of resurrection and of glory, right? And we should hope in that. We don't grieve as those who have no hope, but we still grieve, right? And I, I think um, we've... Uh, it, we we we've kind of as a society just wanted to do away with this idea of like like our kind of functioning psychology is we should never be sad we should just try and be happy all the time and um, if anything makes us feel bad inside we should turn it off and turn something else on that makes us feel happy right but if you look at the course of human history, that's not a normal way to deal with grief, right? A normal way to deal with grief is to sing sad songs and is to call things funerals, not celebrations, right? Um, anyway, all right. On that very happy note, um, that's that's where we're in today. But we'll talk about more of the main themes of Lamentations and outline and key passages next time. Yes, yeah, Steve? This morning, I listened to... Uh a small station in a small town, and they list the people that had died that week, and then they said, you know, they're going to be at Trinity Lutheran Church or whatever in their town. Well, one of them was, and they will be celebrating uh, life at Joey's Tavern, and then they gave me a dress. (laughs) Yeah, the last person um, I know of that that passed away that wasn't a Christian um, that I that I knew as a neighbor of mine. Um, instead of having a funeral, they had the the husband had everybody over for margaritas, right? And they set a big party, and I just thought like, how unhopeful, right? Like how. Like, great, you all, you know, got together and, you know, drank yourself into not thinking about death. But how unhopeful, right? Like, at the end of the day, what has that provided? Nothing, right? The person's still gone and you spent money on, you know, sugar and tequila. Like, congratulations. Now what? And I just, I, I don't know how people do it without Christ, right? How, what, 
like with Christ, I can say, be honest and say, yes, this is sin. And the wages of sin is death. And that sucks. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who raised, uh, who defeat death when he was risen from the dead. Right. Like and there's actually a real living hope there. So anyway, um, I, I want a Christian funeral. I don't want a celebration of life because people grieve and that's life and death and that's real. Um, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Yeah, Gary. Yeah, I mean, I really have trouble with these ones where you go and you see the guy in a fishing boat or something like that, you know, because that's what he loves to do. Or he's got his golf clubs, you know, carrying his golf clubs yeah. to the 18th hole. Oh, yeah. One more story. One more quick story. One more quick story. I um, At Richard's, um, when when we uh, did the committal at the grave graveyard in uh, Hickory Flat, I walked around the graveyard, as is my custom. And uh, read all the tombstones. And I noticed that once you get up to like 19, like the 1980s or 1990s when people passed away, the tombstones dramatically change. One, like the style changes. Like they used to be like, they're basically all the same style, right? Um, and, and they used to basically say like all the same information. So like the their birthday, their name, um, and then when they died. And then if there was anything else on this tombstone, it was always like a Bible verse or like something related to their faith. Once you get up to like the 1980s and 90s, the tombstones become more elaborate. There's a bunch of different styles and the things on the tombstone, sometimes it's a Bible verse, but a lot of times it's that kind of stuff. It's like golf clubs or, yeah, like see you on the 18th hole or like whatever, like whatever, yeah, see you on the lake, like beloved fishermen, whatever the, the, like their hobby was. Like if anyone puts anything about jujitsu on my tombstone, <laughs> I will come up out of that grave. Like don't put that on there. Like anyway, okay. <laughs> Let's let's pray. Yeah. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the things you have given us, and we pray that you would bless our worship today in spirit and in truth. And we thank you especially today for your word, which instructs us in all things. We pray this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.